Welcome to another week of Diva Docs and tonight I have some wonderful guests with me along with Dr. Tina from Diva Docs and uh, Dr. Tina is perfect for this discussion because she is a psychotherapist so she can talk about the the mindsets of people so I'm really looking forward to your input Dr Tina but I do want to welcome tonight very special guest Police Sergeant Simone and Simone is in her real uh, name so you can't find her. <laughs> so <laughs> she she has an alibi for for protection on this show. But it is Dr. Simone and uh, she is representing the police force but also Black Lives Matter because Simone is not only a policewoman, she is also black. So she cares about both sides of the issue. We also have... Rachel Burrell, who is my wonderful friend, singer, um, poet, political activist, um, New Yorker, and also a co-host on my music show, the Melbourne Delphia show, and that's Rachel Burrell, and she's like the hip-hop's Annie Lennox, I've always called her, so she sounds like, she's just beautiful voice, you have to check her out. And then, uh, Rachel, how are you? Hi. <laughs> and yes, and and Rachel is very politically active. And then we have Cam McCoy. Now Cam is an awesome guy. Um, I actually was first introduced to him through Paul Porter, who's you know uh, he he worked for all the I think he worked for BET for a while. He worked for a lot of television and radio and. Um, he introduced me to you and made me aware of your writing. You've written some phenomenal articles about, uh, even about racism and about women. And it's, it's just wonderful. Um, Cam has his master's and he's also uh, an HR person and he lives in Detroit. And so he organized a Flint, Michigan initiative, which quite a few of the DVDocs contributed to. So thank you, Cam. Cam? Yes, I'm here. Thank you for joining. So to kick this off, I want to uh, jump over to Police Sergeant Simone and I want to ask, wow, your feelings, just just your initial feelings about the last few weeks, what you want to say, your first thoughts, the first things you want to say to let the people know. Well, first, thank you so much for inviting me to be on. Mm-hmm. Um, I love having an opportunity to share my viewpoint from, as you said, not only a law enforcement perspective, but as a black woman who mm-hmm. has been in law enforcement for 17 years. Mm-hmm. I have, obviously, family members that are African-American, brothers, nephews, that I am very concerned about on mm-hmm. the you know personal side of things. Mm. Um, I got into police work as many others 
do for the reason of helping people in our state of police work to be sort of the check and balance to um, hopefully uh, balance out some of the things that I saw happening. You know, like lots of people want to make mention is that there's lots of positives when it comes to law enforcement. Mm-hmm. But I think it's incumbent upon us to not be completely blind to, you know, if you, I, I continue to uh, encourage the folks that I work with and explain that if there is a demographic of people that we serve mm-hmm. that, uh, that feel that their treatment is, that there's, uh, you know, a desperate treatment mm-hmm. um, based on their race, then even if you don't feel personally like you've ever acted in that manner, if you've ever acted based on bias, it is important for us to acknowledge we as law enforcement always want folks to see things from our perspective. Mm-hmm. They want us, we always want people to understand the perceived threat, even if it's not clear. You know, for instance, Michael Brown, who wasn't armed, mm-hmm. we make the argument that an unarmed uh, individual could still pose a threat. Well, that's a perceived threat from our perspective, but it's also important that we recognize uh, perceived um, threats and concerns of the folks that we police, Mm. even if we don't see them directly for ourselves, even if we're not affected by them Mm -hmm. because we don't come from those same communities that feel, uh, you know, treated unfairly. Mm -hmm. So that's that's initially, you know, when I obviously saw the shooting of Alton Sterling and then um, Philando Castile, Mm -hmm. I developed my own opinion Mm -hmm. from what I saw and from my experience um, but what I think is most important is, again, to recognize that we all have our own implicit bias. And mm-hmm. if we don't recognize that we police fil- with, you know, filtering our decisions through some of those biases, mm. we don't recognize that, then we can't address it. Right, right. But that, that's the human condition. Uh, you know, that's the human mm-hmm. condition. The condition of being human is that we do filter everything through our own biases, whether we acknowledge that we have biases or not. <laughs> you know, so you're absolutely right. Um, and, and that's not biases in a bad way. It's just our, I guess, our um, our view of things because no one has the same view. No two people have the same exact view of anything. So, you know... And we do filter through our own views, our own past experiences. So, um, or, you know, inherently what we've been brought up with. But I want to switch over to you, Cam. Your experience and also your feelings with regards to the past week and also your experience with um, just the... Because I know Cam is an educated man very educated man, um, brilliant writer, and at the same time, Cam is also a black man, and he's also quite um, sturdy, is that a good word? You, 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 you <laughs> sturdy, like, you, you know, so I, I guess, like, you know, I see him as a big bear, but others might see you as a threat, um, and, and could you speak to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, growing up in Detroit, Michigan, definitely, you know, in, in any inner city, there's a, an element of criminality mm-hmm. to black men, according to America. Right. And, um, mm-hmm. My experiences personally with the police have not been very pleasant, and wow. I'm saying it very lightly. Mm-hmm. Um, I can remember 16 years old walking 
from the store, mm-hmm. around the corner from the store to my house, and officers rolled up and pulled up on me. They were white men, and they had their guns drawn. Right. Like, pull your hands out of your pockets. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, some of the studies that I've been reading about could um, possibly link PTSD symptoms and general generalized anxiety mm-hmm. symptoms to mm-hmm. what black men experience in the neighborhood in terms of crime and violence. But right. mm-hmm. I do believe that there's a correlation with what we experience from time to time with police officers because um, I have professionals in different fields and they still get harassed and stopped by the police. So there's almost like immediate tension. As soon as you get stopped, you think in the back of your head, it might not come out immediately, but you're like, man, this might be the time I might not make it home. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm not even worried about anything that might happen in the hood. I'm worried about getting home because this white police officer done pulled me over Mm -hmm. and he might be on one today. So it's, it's almost like you feel like black men are being executed Wow. And there's no justice for it. They get a slap on the wrist. They get administrative pay. Mm-hmm. They get a vacation right. for killing a black man. But right. had mm-hmm. that been black on black, or had that been something where the black man perpetuated it, mm-hmm. he would have been caught, tried, arrested, and locked away. Right. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's the fraternity of protecting your own. And I, while I get that premise, mm-hmm. the whole thing of police especially guilty police being protected mm-hmm. that's just not the right message to convey and after a certain period of time so many years mm-hmm. you get tired of the same picture the same thing mm-hmm. and i wouldn't condone violence as being the answer no. but mm-hmm. if that's the response you've been getting that's the learned response and reaction that you're going to give mm-hmm. and um Unfortunately, in this case, there's been some uh, violence perpetuated upon officers and some deaths as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have close family members and friends that are police officers, and Lord knows mm-hmm. I don't want anything happening to them. And at the same time, there's the correlation, which is a really bad tension right now between black men and sp- specifically white male police officers mm. so it's um it's very scary right now because yeah. i'm i'm an older i'm one of the older cats now you mm-hmm. know i'm not necessarily older but on the block it's like okay you 33 34 whatever it may be but you're still targeted you're wow. taught that between mm-hmm. 16 to 24 you make it past that you have made it wow That's not the case no more Wow. Mm -hmm. It's very uncomfortable right now, to say the least. And that's all honesty. Wow. 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 So um, that leads me to um, jump over to Tina with regards to, uh, you know, I thought it was really interesting and I didn't think about this. um, But Cameron, you brought up um, the fact that the way the young boys, teenagers are being brought up um, in the, you know, they're in the neighbourhoods and they're, uh, uh, they're, they're afraid of the police, they're afraid of being shot by other kids and they end up with PTSD. Can you talk a little to that? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, T- Dr. Tina? It's, it's, 
Oh, is Dr. Tina on? That's okay. But um, Dr. Tina? Well, she must have jumped. She's still on, but she must have jumped. Uh huh. Here. I'm yep. sorry, I thought you posed the question to him. No, I, sorry, I meant because Cam was talking about the PTSD suffered and what he observed. Right. And you as a psychotherapist, I wanted to know what your observations were and your thoughts about the PTSD and the young men growing up in the neighbourhoods. Well, definitely when you talk about PTSD, you talk mm-hmm. about some type of trauma that was induced to someone. And that is a type of trauma that they experience, whether right. it's racial profiling, discrimination, mm-hmm. whatever it might be, just them hearing the gunshots going off on a day-to-day basis pose um, that PTSD syndrome. And um, I totally agree with him, and I definitely see it in the clients that I see on a day-to-day basis. Wow. Wow. And and what do you tell them? How do you tell them to overcome the the trauma, the, the, the emotional trauma that they're living how, what 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 well, sort of uh, exercises or how do you help them with this? Well, um, when you talk about PTSD, you, mm-hmm. you also categorize it with our vets. And some of the same strategies that we utilize or I utilize with our vets, I also utilize with my clients in the office. And one thing is allow the client to tell their story, allow them to express what the traumatic event um, did to them and how it made them feel. And then in addition to that, we do something called exposure therapy where you re-expose the person to the trauma so it can decrease or minimize the stress that they're feeling. But remember, it's not something that you get over. It's actually a process that one has to go through because that trauma, it's, it's, it's like it's a part of you. But being able to um, properly put that part of you in a place that it doesn't impact you the same mm-hmm. is what you allow the client to work through. Right. And um, I want to bring Rachel on now. Rachel, uh, you live in... Everyone, Rachel Burrell, my girl, (laughs) love this girl, has supported me for years. And if you girls don't know her, this woman is phenomenal, such a talent. And and also writes a lot about... You you write a lot of tracks um, about the... uh, politicism, uh, politics in society and what uh, you and your friends are experiencing. You're very um, politically outspoken, to say the very least. Um, what are your thoughts right. on this, Rachel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think I'm so outspoken just being aware of my surroundings and being exposed to the lowest of the low and the highs of the high. Right. I've pretty much seen it all, really. Yeah. But also I have two brothers. I have two older brothers. And um, growing up constantly hearing my mom say, you might not want to wear that because you don't want to get stopped. Like, mm. I know when my brother was younger, you know, he would wear a do-rag. Right. And it's like my mom didn't want him to be perceived a certain way. Right. You know, mm-hmm. so she would always tell him, don't leave the house with that. So it's like you constantly have to just guard even how you dress or how you move when it's innocent, you know, and you don't even mean anything by it. And right. I think just growing up with that fear and seeing my mom have that fear, it's a very real fear. And it's a fear that I have too. Like my brother works late nights, you know, both mm-hmm. of them. And mm-hmm. so I'm constantly just worrying until they get home. You know, right. they're good guys. They've never been in trouble, never been arrested. So it's just, you know, it's, it's just crazy how these things impact your everyday life, mm-hmm. you know, and it's unfair. Right. Um, it's infuriating. 
Wow. Mm, it yeah. is. It is. And, you know, I want to say just from my perspective, um, being a the, the only white person on the call, actually. Um, <laughs> and I want to say that I... Um, and, I, you know, I'm actually going to refer to a note that I actually sent to someone the other day or I commented on their post. And um, it was really interesting when I thought about, I don't know if any of you saw the um, challenge I put to my white friends the other day. Um, and mm-hmm, yeah. it, it was really, it was eye-opening for me because I don't come from America. So I haven't grown up with the indoctrinated perceptions that um, a lot of my white friends have and uh, you know it's not even conscious it's it's unconscious it's subliminal Um, it's like you know who do they pick for a job they pick someone who looks like them which then runs into the communities that you know where there used to be factories there's no work now and then what do the kids do you know it it, it all snowballs but going back to um what i said and i'm just gonna i'm gonna pull it up because i think it was just so important because you know i know um, a lot of the, it, it, like we're talking about racism and a lot of it is not overt racism, it's the subliminal racism and, you know, the black population want the racism acknowledged that it, ex- that it exists. And what's happening is a lot of the white people, and I, and I have to go to where I wrote this because it was just, <laughs> what I wrote was just exactly what I thought and to have to, th- think it all up I wrote it out so I'm just going to it right now and um, what I said was that um, uh, the, the, the problem is white people a lot of them many white people don't believe racism exists so they won't acknowledge that there's a problem because they don't recognize it and uh, you know it's so pervasive and underlies the American society and you know when I hear people saying yo you're pretending it doesn't exist they're not pretending it doesn't exist to them they don't believe it does so you know you've got two sides and see I'm I didn't grow up in America so I, I I'm looking at this and you know you've got one side that sees they don't see it then the other side that sees it clearly and I see it clearly and and then I also see see the people um, that they're really inoffensive in a way but they just don't stand up for anything you know um, I guess and, and I'm, I'm referring to my my post again but they don't spend time thinking about it and they don't think themselves as racist they don't but but they are they are in a subliminal way um, Artists are different, and I have to say that because artists, we tend to be more biased towards people who are talented. So, <laughs> you know, our biases lie with talent and, you know, things like that. But um, the, I, I, the average white person doesn't understand the fight, and, and that's what I see. And what it's going to take is more people who look like me to stand up. Because it's only then that the white masses will, even if they don't um, believe it or they don't acknowledge it, if it's someone who looks like them, they at least have to ask themselves whether it is really real. 
Otherwise, they're not even going to pay attention. And I got called a few names, but hey, they're paying attention if they're calling me names. Otherwise, they just ignore it. (laughs) So uh, that's... And then I had some white friends who said, yes, it does exist, but I, I didn't want to repost or speak up because I felt it was a sensitive issue. So they acknowledge its existence to me, but they wouldn't acknowledge it publicly. So, you know, that, that's, that was so eye-opening to me because I'm just one who, if I think something, I'm going to put it out there and, you know, come on, <laughs> I put it out there and, you know, that's, that's part of me, who I am. But... You know, I I just, that's what I wanted to say. So I'm going to flip it back to you, uh, Police Sergeant Simone, you know, taking everything into account. And I do want to say also that so many of the police are so wonderful and it's the terrible few. Um, I My thoughts are that those men in Louisiana, those policemen were just, they executed him. He had no use of his arms. With regard to the policemen in um, uh, Minnesota, I just thought that that was terrible. I... Um, I don't th- I don't think he should have been on the street because I don't think he was properly trained. I think he had fear. And if you've got fear and you're p- policing and you've got fear, that's why, he, that's why he came to what he did. He made a very bad decision. Um, and, you know, whether that's better training, it's um, doing psychological testing to make sure... Sh- and how much does that cost to make sure that they're... Do- like, you can't be a policeman and, f- and have prejudices against one type of people you have to be open and you uh, you know and also the training like you know there has to be different training also a different protocol for people who who carry gun uh, gun permits you know so there's a whole lot of issues here but I'm going to jump over to uh, police sergeant Simone and you know after hearing everyone's thoughts I want to hear your thoughts um, both on the good work. I want to hear about the good work police are doing because I know police like you are doing the good work and it hurts to have bad policemen do the wrong thing and tarnish everyone because I tell you what, without the police, there'd be chaos and we don't want to live in a chaotic society. We need order. We need some type of order and the police do a great, great job. Unfortunately, there's some bad police too and, you know, I want to hear your thoughts, uh, Police Sergeant Simone. Hello, Police Sergeant Simone. Hello. Okay, I'm going to uh, jump over to... Sorry. Oh, no. you're there? <laughs> I'm still here. Sorry about that. I muted myself. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so that you wouldn't hear any background noise. Sorry about that. Oh, that's okay. So, uh, to, to touch on a couple of those subjects, mm-hmm. as I was sitting here listening, I was writing a question down for the, therapist, the psychotherapist that you have online, right. Dr. And Tina. you asked her the mm-hmm. exact question that I wanted to ask, you know, that I wanted to bring up was how did he feel this was playing on the psyche of our young black men, right. um, especially since Cam had mentioned what, um, you know, how, how it affected him. I know so many other black men in particularly uh, feel the same way. So um, I was so glad to hear you ask that question because I thought mm-hmm. that she would be the perfect person to answer that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was listening to a town hall earlier today right. and there was a young lady from 
Chicago, which is obviously experiencing this high rate of crime, homicide. Some legal or some law enforcement analysts have uh, linked it to this, what they call Ferguson effect, where police officers, since the, um, since the public outcry and fallout from Ferguson, that police officers have um, just been less proactive and just more reactive. Right. And mm-hmm. he was uh, he was suggesting that it would be best if we got rid of police altogether and had a community uh, solution to protecting the public. And I was thinking, you know, that certainly isn't the answer. You know, police in this country definitely have a a really tough history. The mm-hmm. origins are a very or, ugly origin, but just like so many things in this country, the police have evolved. Still, a great deal of work to do, and I'll be the first to attest to that. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I do think, um, touch, uh, going moving on to what you were just speaking on about training, mm. I think that is such an important part of you know moving us to a closer. Um, a closer resolution to the mm-hmm. issues that we see in some of our communities. And what I think is one of the biggest challenges is you have Dallas PD, and they've been lauded recently as mm-hmm. being one of the pioneers in community policing and reaching back to their community. Like, they apparently are doing everything right from what I've read right. from, you know, citizens' accounts that they're doing everything right. And what Dallas has, that some towns and you know, like some of these smaller southeastern Pennsylvania communities mm-hmm. in, uh, you know, outside of Philadelphia and other communities where you have police departments made up of five and ten police officers. Mm-hmm. Dallas, this large metropolitan city, has a large budget. Mm. Some of these smaller communities where we're seeing a lot of the issues, like that Falcon Heights PD in uh, Minnesota, mm-hmm. which is a small PD. Right. Um, Ferguson, Ferguson, Missouri, very small community. Yeah. The police department I started in when I first became a police officer, I was the only full-time officer. Wow. Um, and there I was the, the, the first black female officer mm-hmm. in that town. It was a very small community, very low funding. And when you have really little funding in those communities, what happens is training is one of the things that uh, mm. that that's sacrificed. Wow. Equipment. Um, insurance and uh, liability, all those things take precedence over training. Right. And then you have small communities that are working in conjunction with one another. Right. Each one's trainings are to different standards. Mm-hmm. And you may have a large incident, you know, where an officer is calling for right. assistance. And you might have three or four officers from these tiny little towns all showing mm-hmm. up. All right. equipped differently, mentally, and, exactly. you know, with the mm-hmm. tools all coming from places where they're probably getting very little training. Right. And this is where I think we're seeing the majority of these incidents. And yes. I think what we mm-hmm. need less of as a larger solution, we need less police departments, not less police. Right. But we need really, like, when people start to speak about what are long-term solutions, mm-hmm. we have too many little police departments in our community right. that mm-hmm. aren't able to, to uh, you know, they're not able to support financially 
the needs of our police. Right, right. So that they can properly police the communities. They so you, so you think that the, so problem. you think that the police, um, in general, need to be more centralised um, with regard to training, with regard to po- you know people being posted to different assignments rather than one person's hired here. It's like a centralised type of, you know, it's a centralised operation. And, you know, there's certain standards that everyone's held accountable. Testing, psychological, training, you know, you have to go through certain things. And, and um, you know, like, I mean, I, I know how much we need the police because, you know, it would just be total chaos without, without an authority. Um, but at the same time, you know, when you have the, the police that are running around scared, that's a danger because I know they wouldn't be scared if they pulled me up. And I know that they probably wouldn't be scared if they pulled up a white guy. <laughs> you know, this guy that, that was the Minnesota guy. And that's where the he might not have even thought he was a racist himself, that guy. He was an Asian guy, the guy who, the police officer that shot the guy in Minnesota. And... Mm-hmm. Um, he might not have even thought himself as a racist because I'm sure he was at the... He's probably been... Uh, felt the brunt of racism himself, being Asian. So, but I really believe that that inherent belief that's like subliminal in society, uh, he treated a black man who was doing nothing wrong in the car um, as though he was a criminal. Whereas he... W- Anyone else in the same situation, had I been in the same situation, white girl, nothing. He wouldn't have even felt threatened. White guy, probably not. You know, so there is a the sub- subliminal racism that affects, uh, you know, a lot of these incidents that are coming out, even if they didn't think that they were racist. There's the psychological stamina that a, a police person needs that you know I guess that the the standards need to come up and I think that we're all in agreement but I I think that the police are a wonderful we need the police and there's not Mm -hmm. two words about it I mean for me we need the police but we also there's training and people need to acknowledge that there is racism they need to be aware when they're treating someone different because of their skin color because that's what they do and black men get it the worst you know that they they get it the worst so that's that's my thoughts uh dr tina i think she's on mute she'll probably be coming on (laughs) people mute when they're on dr tina she's on but i'm going to jump over to um rachel Rachel, yeah, your yeah. thoughts with I'm regards here. to your thoughts with regards to what happened in the last week, and you know, further on my comments. What are your thoughts about it all? Um, I mean, what happened to the last week is 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 something that's been an ongoing thing, right? So it's not as if this is. It's sad. Like it's 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 almost like an every other week, every day occurrence. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 in some strange way you're used to it. <sighs> like okay, there's going to be another shooting. Mm-hmm. You Ugh. know, it's sad. Yeah. It's sad. You Ugh. know, like and 
I think what's frustrating is how do we get this to stop? You know, where do we begin? Because it's been happening for so long. Yeah. And it's still happening. So then you're like, okay, how do we, what do we do? People are like, okay, do we boycott? Do we protest? Do we march? I mean, and we've done all of those things, (laughs) you know? Um, but, but you know, uh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, um, peaceful peaceful protest is a way of br- uh, bringing acknowledgement um, to right. the situation. And I also think, um, as I said, I think one of the solutions is more people like me who are aware. I, need, I agree with you. Need to stand up because the bigots, the bigots are not going to listen to anyone except people. And even if they don't want to listen to me, because I'm the same colour as them, they're like insulted that I would say something or they, they pay attention. You know, they're not going to pay attention. If <laughs> It's just... I. I what someone said to me the other day because I stood up and made a statement I got like from one old guy I, I guess he, he looked old when I looked at his profile he wasn't on my page he was on a friend's page and she mm-hmm. reposted me and he, he he called me honey like you know just like really um said oh, I guess you cried at the uh, it, totally he disregarded what had happened to the black man and I said oh and I'm sure you cried at the, the deaths of those policemen and he was just really he, he didn't get what I was saying he just turned mm-hmm. it into a um, blameful mm-hmm. type of thing and you know I got mm-hmm. a bit of that especially from a few bigots they came at me <laughs> Uh, because, but, right. but the thing is, they paid attention because I looked like them. They don't pay attention to if they're right. bigoted against uh, if they're bigoted against someone who's black, they're not even going to listen. That's the thing. Right. And but but because I look like them, they're like, well, they're 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 very annoyed because I have the gumption to stand up <laughs> and it gets under their skin but they're paying attention yeah. you know did I change their mind probably not but even if I changed one out of a hundred's mind at, at least I made them think about it you know so it takes more like me and as I said I had some white friends who said yes we agree this there's racism but we don't want to stand up because it's sensitive <laughs> you, you, right. so that's another excuse. Well, we know it's going on, but we don't want to stand up. You know, I, I don't want to make a scene. You know, so, you know, people have to have courage. And, it's, you know, I, there, a lot of people don't have the courage you need. And, you know, maybe they've got their own reasons. I, I don't know. You know, I don't feel that way. I, I wanna, I'm, I'm going to stand up and call people out. <laughs> so, uh, you know... Th- it, that would be hard to live with yourself being like that because, you know, you're not standing up for the rights of your friends and your rights of... That's how I feel. Like, I think that I have so many friends of so many different races, I have to stand up for them. And, uh, you know, they're standing up for themselves, but if they're not being heard, well, I'm going to shove myself in these people's faces and I'm going to make them hear me. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. and I've got a platform to do it on too. So... um yeah, that's that's the case. So, so now, your thoughts with regards to solutions? What what you think are possible solutions? Me? Mm-hmm. 
Rachel? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think what you're saying, I agree. You know, I think getting a uh, dialogue, mm-hmm. you know, um, and because, yeah, there are a lot of people who just, it's not affecting, I, I think, empathy, you know, empathy is really important. Absolutely. Finding a way to get people to empathize mm-hmm. because, yeah, I guess if the situation is not affecting you directly, then it's easy to just sort of stay in your comfort zone because this is uncomfortable. It's, yeah. it's an uncomfortable topic. It's not a fun mm-hmm. topic. So I think, yeah, it does start with education and hopefully getting people to a point where they're willing to at least listen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To, I think when you understand everyone's point of view, even if you don't agree with it, then you can start to to empathize and then see where you need to make adjustments and changes. So Absolutely. Um, Com- conversation and discussion um, in open forums is always like, like we're doing now. A lot of these types of discussions right. happening is what is what is needed because then other people listen to it. You know, I'll put it on a podcast. People will listen and, you know, it's just really, that's what it's all about. Hearing what people think and especially when it's a podcast, they can just listen without judgment and then, you know, take away what they can, mull it over, uh, you know, it's it's what it is. Um, uh, Going to jump over to Police Sergeant Simone. And what is the feeling within the police force right now? Is there a lot of hurt over what has gone on in the last week? Is there a closing the ranks to get yourself together, to, get, to bring a camaraderie together? Um, is there pointing fingers? What's, what is the morale like right now? I would say it's a, a bit of all of the above. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the, the closing of the ranks is sort of inherent in police culture uh-huh. to begin with, and this has only furthered that. Um, the the blaming, you know, the the protest down in Dallas. I, right. I was just reading a post on Facebook by a fellow officer just a, just a little bit ago before we came on. Right. Um, you know, suggesting that you know, yeah, right, peaceful protest, mm-hmm. and I, you know, again, we're all sensitive, right? Um, as law enforcement and as just citizens who right. are tired of seeing groups of people hurting and seeing that there are these instances where it just doesn't seem like it needed to happen that way. Right. Um, and I just mm-hmm. hate that we seem to be so far apart. Um, so, yeah, I, I do feel like it's the overall um, feeling amongst the police department right now is, you know, we are hated, um, that despite all of the outpouring of love, you know, folks dropping off mm-hmm. um, expressions of thank you and appreciation right. and things like that. But mm-hmm. I, I think, and I keep saying to the officers that I counter, uh, just the same way that we get frustrated with people thinking that every officer is, um, is the same, that every officer should be judged based on some uh, some of the actions of, you know, some officers that, mm-hmm. that we believe weren't right. Just like we get frustrated with that, I said, don't you think 
people who are expressing their concerns, who are frustrated, who are downright fearful of the police, don't you think they're frustrated by, mm-hmm. by you know, the police pegging them as all cop haters right. and, you know, not supporting police? You can be very critical of the police, mm-hmm. expect high standards, expect police to operate out of integrity and ethics right. and, and still support them. Right. And I think that's the thing that is so misunderstood, not recognized. And until we break down those barriers and get that, nobody on either side of this thing wants mm. things to be the way that they are. Right. Um, the, the public doesn't hate the police to mm-hmm. some, you know, large degree. Mm-hmm. Fearful of them? Yes, a big segment of the population is. And right. we have to care about that as yeah. police. Yeah. And, um, and, I, and I, so where we are in the police department and where we need to get to, um, you know, just as far as the way that we think mm-hmm. about how people are affected by these actions. Yeah. I think we, there definitely is some work mm-hmm. to do. And, and, and you know what? And, uh, you know, it, it, there's so many things that, uh, you know, run into this. Like, I think one of the biggest things that they're not even talking about right now is that a lot of people that are affected, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, black population that are affected by the police um, who have been, I guess, uh, the, 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 they feel like they're being picked off, like executed by the police. Okay. Mm-hmm. There is uh, a lot of uh, poverty in the neighborhoods and that poverty comes from you know there there used to be a lot of factories and a lot of jobs the jobs went away globalization and technology have taken a lot of jobs away so now you've got all these young men growing up they don't have jobs there's no jobs there's and and when they don't have jobs they've got they might have a family how are they going to get the money so there's a lot of desperation and that desperation they might not have chosen they've been you know, born into a certain life. And one of the first things that we need to do to change things is to vote at every election. Because what's going on is people are only voting at the general election, but that's only the president. You know, that's one arm. You know, you've got three arms. And when people aren't voting in the other elections for the Senate and... um the house well then that's why the the conservatives have taken over and believe me the conservatives are not about uh, things for everyone you know helping everyone (laughs) you know um they're not about uh centralization because that's not good for them um and so you know, and I mean, I, I know that's a whole other issue, but I just wanted to touch on that. Everything runs into one another. It's like a trickle-down effect. And, w- you know, I- I- if we could sustain, find some st- sustainability within the com- communities where we could, you know, put these young men who, you know, are a good man, you know, but because there's nothing to do, they might get caught up in the wrong thing. And then there's this uh, divide with the police and a whole community. Um, how do we change that? 
How do we change that? Can we find um, things within communities so they become sustainable and uh, they give people position? They give people a purpose. Does that make sense? I'm going to go to Rachel. Yeah, it totally does. Does it? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does make sense, and I agree. I do think um, it comes down to different factors. You know, right. uh, the environment that you're in. Right. It's like, um, can you hear me? Yep, definitely. Like, mm-hmm. I, I have to. Uh, I have to pass through Newark on my commute to work, right. and <laughs> it's. The difference between Newark and night and day is, like, astounding. If, like, I'm out really late from an event or something and mm-hmm. I'm coming back at, like, midnight or one in the morning, that's when you just see it's nothing but, like, cokeheads and just wow. a mm. lot of drug addicts and just a lot happening. And, yeah, it, it, it's just these are things that are all impact right. everyone. And, right. Yeah, your environment, you know. So it's like if you are applying for a job and someone's stereotyping against you mm-hmm. because you're black or because right. you don't fit into what they right. think the culture is, then mm-hmm. you're, you are going to get desperate. You, you've got to eat and you have a family. Yeah. You know? So, so what like, can we do? What can we do as communities, um, as societies? Can we, is there a way we can give people purpose? And, uh, you know, like there's a lot of good there's a lot of good people that fall by the wayside into drugs or whatever and it doesn't mean they're inherently bad people and you know i I think it takes community it takes people looking out not just for themselves but for the next person too it it really is a community effort and Mm -hmm. i really and truly think at the end of the day, we have responsibility to help our people when we can. Absolutely, we um, we have we have so responsibility like, to to our fellow man, yeah. to our fellow man, because yeah. we're all. It comes back to we're all one race, the human race, and you know, it, it's just people dividing people by skin color. It's ridiculous, you know. It, it's right. just so ridiculous, you know. I I just it it, it it's frustrating to me. Because I see it, I see people who, I, I see it every day. I'm going to jump over to you, Dr. Tina. Um, Dr. Tina? Yeah, I'm here, I'm sorry. Okay. I was trying to click on the last time <laughs> my iPhone was acting up. I'm like, it always happens. That's, that's okay. Um, that's okay. So your, your thoughts on what we can uh, do with regards to solutions and, you know, the comments that uh, all of us have just made. Well, I mean, I, I definitely re- reiterating what was said. I think the saying it takes a, um, what is it, a, a village to raise. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm jacking the saying all up probably because of the hour of the day, but <laughs> it takes all of us. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> to, to, to be a part of the process. Right. And us posting, I'm not saying you and I, but a lot of us are real good activists on social media and sharing right. our thoughts, but I think we got to get away from the screen and actually get out there and do some things that will make a difference. Yes. But it's also on a, a day-to-day basis yeah. um, with just educating our community, um, mm-hmm. informing them, having these open dialogues and conversations to help the movement to go forward. 
But one of the things is when you're dealing with um, this type of um, violence, it, it, it triggers something into the community. It triggers mm. fear. Yeah. It triggers stress. And then you respond off of that. Yeah. And one way that we respond is violently right. because we're going into that um, either fight or flight or self-preservation, right. defending, whatever it might be. So it's, it's like a cause and effect type of thing. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I feel is necessary for our um, police officers mm-hmm. is to actually have better training and better community relations, yeah. get more involved with the community, mm-hmm. be at some of these town meetings. I'm, I remember when I was growing up, like the police officer was like part of the community. And I'm not saying um, it has to go to that extreme, but it right. has to be some type of involvement and, and a better understanding of how to properly confront people and do all different right. things as it relates to the individuals in that community because right. I'm seeing that there is a lack of training. I'm not saying for everyone, and I'm not trying to be offensive to anyone, but there is a lack of training, and it could be just because of different budget cuts or whatever it yeah. might be, mm-hmm. that people, the police officers aren't getting the training that they right. need right. to respond in the way that they should respond. As was so, the case in um, Minnesota, as was the case in Minnesota, because, you know, I honestly think that that was, you know, he he was afraid and he wasn't trained as for the case in louisiana that was a totally different thing that was out and out murder you know um that that's how i feel i don't i don't know i don't know how how do the police what is the and i i I, you don't speak with for all police uh police sergeant (laughs) uh police sergeant simone and i always have to double check because i'm used to calling you something else i'm calling you simone on this so i pause when i call you simone um but how do the police view that is that is that like the general consensus about what happened with those two incidents last week i from from my conversations and just the feelings that i get from the uh, the folks that I work with and uh, communicate with in the in the larger law, law enforcement community, mm-hmm. it seems the consensus is that the shooting in Louisiana is unknown, questionable. We can't see his hand. Was he reaching for a gun? The police knew they were responding to a person with a weapon. Uh, so they knew the male was armed. Did, right. did, could they, you know, from the video, we can't see his arm, you know, those kind of things. So that seems to be the general consensus about that particular shooting. As far as uh, the Castile shooting, um, I, it seems like most believe that was just simply uh, egregious and clearly fear um, mm-hmm. and, and all of the other things that you said. So yeah. it, it, it seems... Split. Yeah, um, but but I, I I understand and relate to the outrage right. when it comes to you know that first one, and then again that goes back to what I was saying is that we always want people as police officers we always want people to see things from our perspective right. and all aren't always as willing to see things from from everyone else's perspective. Right. Uh, and one one other comment, uh, you're. The, the last person, person that spoke to the, um, was that the doctor? Dr. Tina. Dr. Tina, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so she... Um, you can talk to her. She's on, so oh. Dr. Tina. Dr. <laughs> Tina. 
yeah. here. So you you were you were talking about um, the types of people who either either training a failure in training, and I don't know if you were on when I was talking about that very thing and how funding is such an issue, especially in these smaller police departments. And training is oftentimes the one thing that is um, that's that's cut or or not right. done to the extent that's necessary. And you know, I, I wonder, um, imagining that you are regional, and just recently Commissioner Ross in Philadelphia, uh, he changed some standards that Commissioner Ramsey had set. There was a standard for new police recruits to have at least 60 college credits, mm-hmm. and that has been relaxed because there have been so many retirements coming mm-hmm. up in the Philadelphia Police mm-hmm. Department, and uh, mm-hmm. that's created a shortage, and so therefore the, the the education standard has been sort of waived. And I've uh-huh. been, you know, getting into some really uh, heated debate with folks about the importance of, you know, no, does uh, being book smart, as sometimes people call it, does that make you a better police officer? Well, you know, in some ways I think so. It, it shows uh, it helps you develop critical thinking but skills. That definitely, I was going to say critical thinking. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're on the uh-huh. same page. I think it's so important, and I was so disappointed to see that that was the first um, that was the first requirement that was relaxed, rather mm-hmm. than maybe reconsidering the temporary residency requirement. I think it's really important that police officers are familiar uh, mm-hmm. and have a stake in the communities that they police. I think that's very important. Mm-hmm. I, I police yes. in the community that I that I lived in with the school in. Every, right. I knew everybody's mom, dad, mm-hmm. cousins, all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I first and you and you work. probably and interacted was, with them in a non-threatening way, so that made oh, a big difference. Yeah. The kids would get yeah. off the bus from school, and I would jump rope with them, even though I couldn't really jump rope too well. I'm a yeah. country girl, and <laughs> didn't really learn how to double dutch, but I would always volunteer to turn wow. shoot hoops with the boys when they got off of the bus. It was just you know, it, it made a difference because, for one thing, I wanted to have those relationships. Right. And if I'm running into these folks in the grocery store, or if as mm-hmm. I got older, sending my kids to school with the same, you know, with the same people in the community that I police for nearby, I'm going to have a different approach than if I'm driving from my comfortable um, middle to upper income suburban home right. into this lower income neighborhood yes. treating folks there however I see fit to it then I don't have to be bothered with them until my next shift uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm, I, I you know stop. You know, I hear I hear what you're saying about the comfort level you're going to feel when policing you know, a middle class affluent neighborhood where, you know, the desperation obviously isn't there um, uh-huh. to, you know, a neighborhood that is, you know, there's a lot of desperation, a lot of people out of work, they don't know where they're going to get their next dollar to feed their family. And, you know, I understand that, you know, you're on a more of a defensive uh uh, you're you you're a lot more defensive in that position because you're, you're looking out for. Uh, but how about some of the? You have community police that aren't actually police, but community police, correct? Right. Well, a lot of the community police officers are indeed police officers. Right. Um, and they just take on a they just take on a different role and are assigned to just 
you know, liaison with this, with community members and schools, things like that. Right. But is there a way of actually having a community police? Because people might be afraid if they go to someone who's actually community police, but also police, that they might get in trouble. Is there someone that they can go to if they're in a bad situation? It might be slightly, they might have done something slightly illegal, but not, you know, really, really bad, you know. Is there someone that they can go to where they're not going to be admonished but more, you know, supported and help them get back on track? You know, because, you know, something that's not really egregious, something that's very minor because we've seen that there's people who do not have the money for a defence go to jail for years and years and years for something that's minor. Um, Mm -hmm. Where do we, whereas you go to a rich community and the offences are a lot worse, but because they can afford lawyers, they're not getting the time. So where do we, is there a way that we can have community police that can say, like a priest can't tell on them? Like if if a community, if there's a community policeman and he's also a policeman, can mm-hmm. he be told something as the community policeman? Is he? Can he separate that? No, because he's still going to be the policeman. Thing. Here's the thing, you know, police officers. Have, one of the things I love so much about my job is that I have discretion. Right. And every police officer has discretion, and there are a few things. There are there are a few things in the law that says you shall, you know, act in a certain way if these. Um, elements are present, domestic violence, domestic right. assault being one of, the, one of the very few. But there are many times that an officer on his own accord right. can simply exercise his or her discretion right. to um, to educate mm-hmm. rather than enforce, which I find myself doing all the time. Yeah. But I think that goes back to having people have interactions with people that are different from them mm-hmm. that, you know, not just have people come into a community because they've now graduated police academy and are looking for a job or that they are the cousin or the nephew or the son of the police chief of the town next door that owes this chief a favor, right. which happens a whole lot, especially in smaller communities. Right. But if you have people who are actually getting to know the people in their community, they're much more likely, I think, to exercise that discretion. So, you know, as far as like the court system, there are those, um, there are those when it's not, you know, really severe. Mm-hmm. If it is less than, you know, like a felony, right. then you can you can get rehabilitation. It's called ARD in Pennsylvania. You know, something different. I'm sure in other states, right. but you can have your record cleaned if you, you know, if you rehabilitate with, you know, through however the court decides mm-hmm. you need to. So mm-hmm. there are those measures, but the officer, him or herself can exercise that discretion to enforce or to educate. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, you know, I, I'm just, you know, I'm just overwhelmed at the divide in this country. I also have hope that there are, you know, that there's a lot of good people out there who want to find solutions. There's people like all of us on the line. And we represent all parts of the community and we want to make it a better place and we will actively try to make it a better place. Um, uh, you know, I, I think it's about us all being active and trying and 
you know, the people who are on the fringes of society but who are good people, bringing them in, you know, giving them a chance or giving them a helping hand or, you know, the kids that the kid that's the loner, um, you know, has parents that don't have a lot, you know, fun. What, what happened to the, you know how there used to be a lot of the girls boys clubs of the the police boys club police girls club do they still have a lot of those going on they, they do have um like pal police athletic league that's it a department runs one mm-hmm. and girls and boys club separate not run by the police but they do exist in some communities too i think that i think the pal center is such that's a great way for young people to have exposure to police officers that exactly. positive. They can, you know, even these kids who might have, you know, they might see a family member or a friend being arrested. They may see some negative things in their community. But if they have something like the PAL Center, right. they can see that that's not always the case. Or, right. You know, they can separate things for themselves even at a young age, and that can make a difference. Now, not now, all communities mm-hmm. have that, though. Now, you, you have, there is, there's the... P- Police athletic league for the kids. Is there anything like that for the teens? Because the teens, that's when it happens. Is there something like PAL but for teens? Where perhaps the teens could be taught with a police officer, the radar or some of the electronics or, you know, something that, because, you know, young guys are interested in those sort of things. Um, uh, you know anything that might be of interest to the young guys or girls? Um, are there any uh, uh, things that are going on like that? Activities that are going on like that? Um, working with the teenagers in particular? I think they're. I think they're limited. I think they're limited. And what I oftentimes see is when we have young people around that age, you know, just about to get out of high school or mm-hmm. middle school and to, you know, about to get out of high school. Right. When I see them, you know, doing ride-alongs with the police, it's usually either a friend or family member of another officer or they have some sort of internship or school project mm-hmm. where they've gotten, you know, uh, permission from the police department. Right. But that might be an idea to try to expand. Yeah something like that. Definitely. You know, some police departments do like a citizen police academy where they sort of, you know, bring citizens in from their community and show them yeah. what what a day in the life of an officer is. They show them, you know, different things. But maybe it will really be smart to have something that really focuses on that real vulnerable age group, so yeah. that age group that you talked about. Yeah. That's a, that's a great idea. Yeah, it's definitely the age where people either go astray, a lot of people go astray or they, you know, direct themselves one way or the other. They're either, they've got they've got a goal in life or they're, you know, goalless <laughs> and um, that's where they fall through the cracks, you know, that, that middle teenage, late teenage years and uh, then it perpetuates and goes into the 20s and Phew. Uh, but but yeah, that's that's definitely something to think about. You know, the something like that. I like I like that idea. The, the um, those type of ride-alongs and you know allowing people to get involved. But um, that's that's definitely a great idea. But we are uh, getting out of time. So I know I've had. Um, Cam had to drop off because he was at work and he called in. But I'm glad that we got his um, input 
right at the start because that was phenomenal input so thank you cam if you're listening um dr tina's just had to go so there's the three of us so i'm going to ask you for final thoughts um rachel final thoughts yes mm-hmm. um i'm grateful that we're having this conversation mm-hmm. i think we just need to keep it going i Definitely. think it's easy to get distracted mm-hmm. but this is a real issue and it won't go away unless we keep staying on top of it so right. Mm-hmm. I think we need to keep doing more of what we're doing right now. Right. Exactly. I, I definitely think that. And I just want to say thank you. Always got my back, always, Rachel. I, I'm just, I'm so, I value Likewise. you so much as a friend. You know, I, you know, I absolutely Likewise. adore you. So thank you. Um, and definitely. Police Sergeant Simone, what a eye-opening conversation. I'm so grateful that you yeah. came on because... You know, we really talked real and, you know, I learned a lot yeah. from your perspective and uh, Rachel, um, had, uh, yeah, wasn't it eye-opening? Mm-hmm. And, and I just want to thank you for coming on and, you know, letting us know how you feel, how the, what you've observed within the police force, the, the things that you come up against, the perceptions from the community, um, they're not easy to bear. But, um, you know, I think most police go into the job wanting to help the community, protect the community, up, uphold a great community. And, you know, uh, indeed, most pe- police do do that. But I want final thoughts from yourself. Uh, I just echo everything that Rachel said. And I want to say, you know, thank you so much for inviting me. Um, I think these conversations are so important. Right. I want to be part of making real change. And sometimes I feel like that change is tough being within the uniform. Right. Um, I appreciate these, you know, you know, sort of these places where I can speak and, and speak freely because not, not everyone that wears the uniform that stands beside me um, has the same views or hold these views as deeply as I do. Right. Uh, so I'm really grateful for an opportunity to talk about it, and I want to, I want to be part of making real change because mm-hmm. our communities deserve to feel safe. Right. Um, they deserve to feel like when they encounter a police officer that it's not likely to go negative because of the way that they look. Right. And you know. I don't wear a uniform all the time and I've been on the other side of that and Mm -hmm. have felt myself being treated slightly differently than people in my community um, Mm. where, where I live, which is, you know, a pretty homogenous community. Right. A lot of people that don't look like me and, you know, I, I want to be part of making a difference. And oh, cool. so I just thank you for this opportunity. Oh, no, we we need to have more. And I, I was so thankful for this. You know, I, I actually have some ideas, you know, where, you know, I'll talk to you about that later. But I have some ideas where you could use a platform like this, you know, um, yourself, you know, not maybe not have be under your name but like aliases where people can talk and call in and you know or you know a show where you talk about different things half a you know half an hour a week or something you know even where people can call in but you know there's so many things you could do um you know because i think it's just being able to 
touch and relate, communicate. Communication is the number one thing. The lack of communication is why people get into so much trouble <laughs> in this day and age. So, you know, I think communication is, is definitely um, one of the factors that will, uh, you know, is, is one of the factors in getting to a better place. Will we, all, will we ever be able to solve everything? Probably not, but we can make it much better. You know, so because, you know, there's always going to be some people who go against the grain, but we can make it a lot better. And, you know, I think we had some great ideas. <laughs> they need it. They need it. They, they need us as a think tank. <laughs> so in any case, any, any case, I want to thank you all. You know, what a wonderful conversation tonight um, to all the listeners listening in. I hope you learned a lot. I hope we gave you things to think about. Um, I want to thank you all for listening in. I want to thank, I want to thank police, police sergeant Simone. I want to thank Rachel, Cam, and Dr. Tina, uh, because it was a phenomenal conversation and I learned a lot. And uh, I want to say to everyone listening out there, we will see you same time, same place next week. And I will podcast this episode because I think that we had a lot of good stuff to say. So. I will podcast this and this will go out. So any case, I'm going to love you and leave you all and see you same time, same place next week. Au revoir. See you, ladies. Bye. Thank you.